Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you here today. Good morning to True Worth, our online viewers, Sanctuary and Ark. If I have not been given the honor of meeting you, my name is Cheyenne Davis, and I get to serve on staff here as Director of Parent Ministries. So what that means is that if you are a parent, a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle, I work for you. So use me. Um, real quick, can we make some noise if you were here for the series, My Crazy Family? Yes. Like... I have an eight and a 12-year-old, and I will tell you, there's been two messages that I've gone back through our online archives and just listened to because there is some really great advice. And the truth is that I've had to wrestle with is that my crazy family wasn't fixed within the duration of that sermon series. Was yours? No, they're still a little crazy. But here's the thing. When I think about our crazy families... Like, we did not get there overnight, did we? Like, we have a long road behind us with emotional pit stops and detours that helped us to arrive at the destination of dysfunction of today. You know what I mean? So I want to say this to you. If your crazy family was not fixed in that six weeks with your best intentions, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Do you agree? Like when you show up here and we worship together and we serve together, we automatically just grow together. So that's, that's what I want to invite you to do here today is that when we go and we, we look at the word and what God has to say for us today, figure out what it is that he is trying to say to you. I'm really excited about our two-week mini-series because it's about Jesus being a storyteller. Did you guys know that Jesus is the best storyteller ever? So I think about the time that uh, before Jesus was here, there was a lot of laws and rules. And some of us do great just knowing the laws and rules. And they're still great for us because we know how to operate within the boundaries of what God has provided us for. But when Jesus got here... He told a very specific story, and it's called a parable. Because in my imagination, Jesus was like, you've got all these laws, like 600 plus laws, but you seem to still be wrestling with how to do the right thing. And that's when Jesus would open the floor, and he would tell a story. And what I love about parables is that no matter where you're at, and your faith walk, a parable is for you. I believe everything in this book is for you, but especially if you are just learning how to really wrestle with what scripture is saying to you, a parable is a great place to start. Because for a parable, when you read it, you get what you put into it. Because a parable is not a historical recollection of what's happened, it's a simple illustration to help us learn to be a little bit better. So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to read a parable. It's in Matthew. But before we open God's word, I want to go ahead and just pray for us. God, we just thank you so much that you got us here. Sometimes just getting here can be a struggle. So we just thank you so much that you brought us to this place. And God, we showed up to hear a word from you, not from our neighbor, not from our spouse. We showed up to hear something from you. So God, speak to us. 
Show us something new. We love you and we thank you. Amen. So we're going to be hanging out in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We just want to put a Bible in your hands. You can borrow this Bible. You can read this Bible. You can take this Bible home. Whatever you want to do with this Bible, you can take notes in this Bible. Um, But if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to put one in your hands. And I'll go ahead and let you know that I'm reading the English Standard Version. So what most of you usually read is the NIV, NIRV. And I really just like how the ESV reads. I'm going to put it on the screen for us, but I'm going to paraphrase a lot. Are you all okay with that? Perfect. And then I want to give you a bottom line question. And that is, if you don't take anything else away, if you hear nothing else that is said, take this question with you. And the question is, am I doing something with what God has trusted me with? And that's your first little line. So as we read this parable together... Am I doing something with what God has trusted me with? That's the lens that you're going to read it through. When you leave here today, uh, and you've got some homework on this page and on your back page with your life steps, when you go through the week, your question is, am I doing something with what God has trusted me with? So let's go ahead and start reading this parable. It's called the parable of the talents in my version and your version. It may be bags of gold or money. Remember, this is not a literal story. So when we talk about talents, or money, or gold, I want you to think of that as being an ambiguous something, just anything. But you, as the reader, have to figure out what that something is that God has given to you. Is that fair enough? Perfect. Let's start reading. Verse 14, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. So let's practice our illustration muscles. If we think about a man, a master that went on a journey, who could that be? Anybody want to shout it out? Oh, you're so quiet today. Jesus! It could represent Jesus. Jesus went away. And when Jesus went away, he left 12 people behind, 12 very important people. Do you remember what they're called? The disciples. He left the disciples behind. And he left his mission, his purpose, and his ministry in the hands of those disciples. Here's the tricky part. Are those disciples sitting in this space today? No. But who is sitting in this space today? You are. We're the ones that are responsible for carrying out God's mission and God's purpose and God's values. Are we doing something with what God has trusted us with? Let's see what our servants did in this parable. In 16, it says, He who had received the five went at once and traded them made five more. He who had the two did the same, but he who had the one went and hid his master's money in the ground. Now, after a long time, the master came back and settled accounts, and the first and second servant, they were so proud. They came up and they said, Master, you gave me five, I doubled it. You gave me two, I doubled that. And they were so very proud. And look what the master said in 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy 
of your master. Let's go ahead and skip down to verse 24 and just camp out for just a second. Has anybody ever been in the room where you know someone's about to get in trouble? Like you're nervous for them. So like as I read 24, that's how I feel. I'm like, I'm nervous for this servant, the one that dug a hole and hid his talent. And this is what that servant said. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. And I'm in 24, reaping where you don't sow, gathering where you scatter no seeds. So I was afraid and I went and hid. The master did not respond. Good job, good and faithful servant. The master responded, you wicked and slothful servant. You know that I reap where I, where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. And he goes on to talk about why didn't you do this or that with what I had been given you. Was he doing something with what the master had trusted him? So let's, let's unpack it from the top. And as we read this parable, let's think which servant are we most like. So let's take a look at the first servant. I love this. In 16 it says, he who had received the five talents, he went at once. How many times have you and I felt God pulling us, nudging us, pushing us, or calling us into a specific place, and we went at once? I'll be real honest. I have an A-type personality, and before I go anywhere at once, I'm asking a whole lot of questions. Even if I think it's God calling me, do you go at once? When I think about people uh, that, maybe, that maybe you are familiar with that went at once, I think of people like C.S. Lewis and Walt Disney. See, as a child, their passion was ignited. And as a child, they started living their passions and dreams. And because they lived with what God had trusted them with, their influence was huge on entertainment. We have another great example in Jesus. Jesus at his birth the people that knew what God had trusted Jesus with at his birth knew that he was sent to be our defender and our rescuer. And because Jesus knew exactly who God was and knew that God had trusted him with something so great, because he lived with that at the forefront of his mind, Jesus' influence was and still is global. And it's because he knew his master and he knew what God had trusted him with. And so if I think about how are you and I going to be effective with what God has trusted us with, in your message notes, number one, we just need to know God. Like, how simple is that, right? Or am I the only person that can overcomplicate something super simple? Like, we say that it's really simple, but let's look at our, let's look at our third servant where he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. I was afraid. And so I went and hid. Like, how easy is it for you and I to misunderstand God's love for us? How easy is it for us to think of God as a judge or a punisher instead of the God who wants us to have an abundant life? Is it easy for you and I to get that wrong? I think way back in the day, how easy it was for me to get it wrong. Uh, make some noise if you've ever been to church camp before as a student or a child. 
Yeah, yeah. Raise your hands up high if you just love going to church camp. Yes, samesies. So in sixth grade, I started being able to go to this amazing church camp. And I grew up in a very liberal home where my parent was my best friend. And in a small town, when you make bad choices, who knows about it? Everybody. But when I would go to church camp, it was there that I could dream big about what God might have in store for me. It was there that I was introduced to a God that had a good and beautiful plan for me. But when I came home, man, those wrong choices were just a lot of fun. And so I had a church leader pull me aside. And she said, Cheyenne, if you want to be invited back to church camp next summer, you're going to have to straighten up. I learned something about myself that day. One, I don't like ultimatums. <laughs> Even if you're giving me a good choice, if you pitch it to me in a way that's an ultimatum, I'm probably not going to make the right choice. And then the second thing that I learned is that she wanted me to act better. And when I think about what that looked like at 15 and the fun choices that I was making, it didn't really balance out. And so I looked at her and I said, that's lame. I'm out. And so at 15, I walked away from the church. Fast forward uh, five years, uh, I, I looked back on that memory and I said, right here, God, I knew you to be a hard man, not interested in my fun. So again, five years later, I, I walked away from the church. And wouldn't you know, when you, when you stop going to church, like you become a mess. Has anybody else experienced that? I was a mess. And so different small town, different small church. My dad was one of the pillars of identity for me before I had a real relationship with Christ. And he had just got diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he lost his battle in 2004. We had a lot of beautiful moments. Um, but during that phase, and it's no excuse, but I made a really visible bad choice. And everybody knew it. But different church, different small town, I went up and with a heavy heart, with my dad on my heart, I said, I'd love for you to pray for my dad. And that pastor looked at me and he said, did you think, Cheyenne, that maybe if you hadn't have made that bad choice, do you think your dad would really be dying of cancer? And I remember thinking, that's lame, and I'm out. This is the first church I ever stepped foot into. And I share that story because regardless of how God was being represented to me, I had a responsibility to have a relationship with God. See, I knew things about God. I knew facts about Jesus. I knew Bible stories, but I lacked a relationship. Is it just me, or sometimes can we, can we think that knowledge is a better thing than having a relationship? I didn't have a clear understanding of who God was. I do now, and I can look back, and I can know that that first church member that pulled me aside, she just wanted me to make the wise choice. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Looking back on that experience with that pastor, like, I still have some questions for him. <laughs> but it's because I'm learning 
what a true relationship with God looks like, so knowing God. Another great way to be effective with what God has trusted you with is to widen the circle. Or for some of us, it is narrow the circle. And what I mean by that is that we are a church of small groups. So that means that if you are part of a small group, you know the benefit of being in a small group. There is an added accountability that's there where God can show up in those relationships. When we talk about narrowing our circle, that does not mean that you get to go home and say, at church today, I heard that I can cut all the negative people out of my life. Don't do that. Negative people need you. But what I am saying is that if we want to grow wiser, if we want to be effective with what God has trusted us with, it's okay to be intentional about the people that you invite to speak wisdom into your life. You have that right to be intentional. I think about our third servant. If our third servant would have had someone wise in his corner that he could have bounced ideas off of, maybe it would have sounded like this. Third servant would have said, hey man, I got this really cool talent that my master gave me. I'm going to dig a hole and I'm going to bury it. I think maybe if he would have had a wise friend, that wise friend would have said, no man, that's a terrible idea. But there was no one there for him to bounce ideas off of. Um, It's important for us to have wise friends. And I've put some scripture out there for you to kind of see what wise counsel and wise friendship can bring to your life that you can do throughout the week. I was having coffee with one of my, my wise friends because it's important to have people in your life that know God so they can see what God's placed in you, especially when you can't. It's important to have wise people in your life um, so that when you seem to get off track with who you believe that God is calling you to be, they can put you in check. And my wise friend that I was having coffee with that day was doing just that. I came in and I said, hey, listen, I feel like people are, are getting wrapped up in a really unhealthy comparison with me. Um, and I'm being told a lot, I'm doing a good job. Raise your hand if you like compliments. Yeah? Not a lot of y'all like compliments. Okay, good. I love compliments, but I don't like misplaced compliments. And so I was sitting with my wise friend, and I told her about the unhealthy comparison. And as she was taking a sip of her coffee, she was like, oh, Cheyenne, that's because of your social media. And I laughed. Raise your hand if you have social media. Yeah. Um, I laughed, and then she didn't. And I suddenly realized that maybe she was like being for real. And I got really defensive. And I said, hey, listen, like my reason that I post the things that I post, and they're mostly like 99% happy. Um, The reason that I post what I post comes from a really deep place where I was injured in college and I had to watch the movie, The Notebook. Does anybody remember that movie? My gosh, I had to watch it for an aging psychology class. But for those of you that did not watch the movie, it's a man and a woman. They are in love. She forgets who he is. She forgets who her children are. And he reads her journal in hopes that she will remember who he is. Like, Matt Davis has plenty of material on my Facebook page should that ever happen to us. And so my wife's fan was just like, just post a bad day every once in a while, Cheyenne. And I got to thinking, one, I knew my identity for myself. 
is not wrapped up in other people's opinions of me. But when I switched gears and realized that I wanted to follow Jesus as best I could, I understood that I was a servant of people. And the last thing that I wanted to do was be emotionally harmful on something as silly as social media. And so I, um, I took her wise advice and took a picture of my life that day and posted it. And this is what I posted. This is my gym bag, purse, and school bag. There is a laptop buried somewhere underneath there. And notice I don't even have matching socks on. Um, I probably don't have matching socks on now. But I posted that, and I walked away from it. I just wanted to take her advice and see if it did anything. And I came up here to serve on the weekend. And I want to tell you, the Pathway parents here, man, they get a lot right. There's a lot of men and women that I just look up to. But a handful of them came up, and they just said, thank you. And I said, why? And they mentioned that crazy post. And a couple of them that I was close to, I asked, like, why? And they said, because it helped me not feel like I was the only one just barely hanging on by a thread. And then that got me thinking, too, if we want to be effective with what God has trusted us with, we cannot allow comparison to minimize what God has placed in our lives. So number three, we need to avoid comparison traps. And since we're on the, the talk of social media, we don't have time to show you a graphic here, but just Google social media and the effects on depression and anxiety. There is a lot of research being done right now that correlates those two together. For our, for our parents that have kids that are um, 10 through 16, they spend nine and a half hours a day on a device. And why do you think social media is linked to depression and anxiety? Because it's a big old comparison trap. Like I see students all the time get wrapped up in this. They had this beautiful group of elementary age friends. Fast forward to middle school, because we all want to fast forward through middle school. But we arrive at high school, and we've been given freedoms, one of which is a social media account. And then all of a sudden, on a Saturday night, we have a student sitting there scrolling through Instagram and Snapchat, and they see their friends that they've had since elementary school. And then all of a sudden, their self-esteem and their self-worth is tangled up in the question, why wasn't I invited? That's a comparison trap. Don't do that to what God has trusted you with. Be you wherever you are. Adults, I wish I could say we were better. I hear this in the crossing sometimes, too. Um, and you have no shame sometimes, and you are bold. I dig it. But here's what I see and hear happen. person will walk up to a big group of people, and they'll call everybody out in the circle, and they'll say, where was my invite? You know what they were doing? They were comparing what their group of friends were doing to what they were not doing. Comparison traps are a dangerous place to be. Women, because I'm a woman, I'm going to pick on women. And, may, and maybe it's just me. But sometimes we say the words when we see other ladies walk into a room. Did she really wear that here? <laughs> like, I bet some of us will get to heaven and, like, people will be in the line and we will say, did she really wear that here? Does she know who she's about to meet? 
Like women, we do that all the time. Like where does that come from? It is a comparison that we don't need to place on somebody else because I promise when that lady walked through the door and you and all your friends looked at her, she automatically knew that she had chosen the wrong outfit, okay? Men, this is super subtle, but I hear gentlemen say this all the time. In reference to their job, sometimes it takes gentlemen a long time to tell people where they work, and when it eventually comes out, it sounds a little like this. Yeah, this is where I work. I mean, it's not much, but this guy over here, he owns his own company. Like, men, do not allow yourself to be put in that professional comparison trap. Did you ever think that maybe it's not the job title, but it's how you do the job where God can use you in magnificent ways. Do not compare yourself. And I hear gentlemen say this sometimes too, like you compare your, you, you, you compare your 2019 version of yourself to like your 1997 version of yourself. Like that's dangerous too. Like who you are today is better than who you were in 1997, I promise, because God doesn't make mistakes. And if you have arrived to the destination of today, I promise he has equipped you perfectly to do whatever it is that he is calling you to do. Comparison traps. Do not minimize what God has placed in you by looking at what somebody else has. Our last point, number four, I think one of the catalysts of being able to really discover what God has given to you and what God has trusted you with, if you really want to figure that out, serve together. We talk a lot about serving here at Pathway. We worship together, we serve together, and we, we grow together. And we, we don't talk about it because it's important to us. We talk about it because we believe it's important to God. And we can even see that in our parable in one of our verses where it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter or come and joy. Come and enter the joy of your master. Like when we ask you to serve, we don't need warm bodies and a disgruntled yes. Like, we just want you to come on board and experience the master's joy. Does anybody want in on the master's joy? We actually have an opportunity for you right after this service. It takes 280 small group leaders to make summer happen for student ministry, children's ministry, preschool, and our special needs ministry. And I know what you may be thinking. When we ask anybody to serve in family ministries, we hear three things. One, I am not qualified to lead the next generation on their spiritual path. And to you, I say, well, it's really good that your opinion of yourself is not what qualifies you. But what God has specifically placed inside of you, that does qualify you. Uh, the second statement is really one of my favorites because I've said it before. Uh, someone will come up and say, Cheyenne, I really just feel like I need to get closer to God before I serve. And to you, I say, that's adorable. <laughs> that's like saying, I need to lose weight and get fit before I join a gym. You know? <laughs> like, serving is how you get to know God on a deeper way. And if you've never served before, it is game-changing. And the last statement that we hear in reference to serving with students and children's and preschoolers is, 
I've made a lot of bad decisions. You don't want me influencing the next generation. And to you, I would just invite you to imagine that it's not me, it's not our pastors that students and children and preschoolers need. It's all of your broken stories and what you bring to the plate today. I promise. And more importantly, God promises. God promises that he has trusted you with something. Are you doing something? I get all the reasons why you don't want to say yes to serving. In 2009, by the time I got back to church, I was skeptical of everything. I really just wanted to sit in a chair, listen to good music, listen to a good speaker, and I wanted the church to raise my kids. That's all I wanted. I needed the church to do the heavy lifting, and my husband is amazing. Like, Matt Davis is filled with so many skills and so many talents and so many gifts. Every ministry is always asking Matt Davis to come serve. And in 2009, I was sitting underneath that basketball goal right there. I had a a three-year-old weaving in and out of the chairs. I was bouncing an infant on my leg. And Matt was being asked to lead children's ministry right down this hall. And this man looked at me, and he said, I'm not going to go unless Cheyenne goes. Listen, that did not even deserve a fake, I'm going to pray about that. And when we got home, we had one of those marital moments about that conversation. And I looked at him and I said, I need you to remember that I had to change my undergrad major because I failed speech twice. I just started liking the two kids that I carried in my body. Like, there's no way you're going to stick me in a room with 50 to 70 of other people's kids to talk about Jesus. Like, I don't know how I feel about Jesus. Not sure how I feel about you right now. I'm not going. I won't do it. And the one time that Matt Davis put his foot down in our marriage was this. And he said, Cheyenne, I will not serve unless you serve. And when he took that stance in our marriage, it changed the very fabric of who we were. And we don't really get or deserve the affirmation that serving is making an impact on other people, but we did get that blessing. Um, And it was seven years later, we'd been serving. We'd shaved all the things off of our plates so we could be in this place and serve. It changed our marriage. It changed our parenting. Um, And on Friday night, I have a really, really analytical kid. Like, he always wants to know the plan. I don't know where he gets that from. Um, But on Friday night, he always says, Mom, what's the plan? Like, he wants at 8.30, what are we doing? 10, 11, all those things. And so on Friday night, he asks what we're doing on Saturday. And this particular Saturday in question was the Harvest Run. And the Harvest Run is a great fall event that we have every year for the community. It's awesome. Um, But I knew that, but I've been given the green light to stay at home. And so when Canaan asked, what are we going to do in the morning? I said, oh, Canaan, we're going to sleep late and watch cartoons. He's 10. Like, I thought he was going to be thrilled. And he looked at me all judgy, and he said, is that it? And so I get my first look from Matt because he knows my agenda. He knows I'm the one that wants to stay home and sleep late and watch cartoons. 
And so I went in to try to deliver the truth, and I said, well, and I was trying to sell it hard. I was like, well, we could wake up really early. We could go to the harvest run and see if they have a place for us to serve, or we could sleep late. I can make you bacon, and we can watch TV all day. Like, I was selling it. And at this point, the look that Matt's giving me is, objection, you are leading the witness, stop it. But before Matt could chime in and do good parenting, Canaan said, so my option is bacon or serve? And I said, yes, it is. And like Matt's just like tapping his foot, like what's he going to say? And Canaan said, well, that's a really easy choice, Mom. And I said, is it? Um, and he said, we have to serve. And here he is, here Canaan is, after two hours of just standing at a stop, just waving people through the harvest run, teaching me how to do something with what God had trusted me with, even when I didn't want to. When we serve together, we change from the inside out. And regardless of if we got something from this parable or not, I think there's two very clear avenues. We can either do something with what God has trusted us with, or we can do nothing. What will you choose? And listen, I know that we talk a lot about serving, but maybe, maybe serving in family ministries is not your thing. There are tons of areas of which you can serve. Like, are you doing something with what God has trusted you with? If we think about family ministries, 280 people, what if, what if that the person that a student, a child, or a preschooler has been waiting on to spur them into a faith where they can be the next disciples and tell the world about Jesus, what if the person that they have been waiting on is not me, it's not your pastors, but it's you? Like, what if? And even in talking about serving, I need to qualify something. I understand because we are a recovery church that there are some seasons that you just shouldn't be serving, and that's okay. If you've gone through a tragedy or a life-altering event and your life is still in chaos and in transition, what you're doing something may look like is joining a small group. Maybe you're doing something looks like connecting with care ministry to talk one-on-one about where you're at or a class or a support group. Like you're doing something, can look however it is God is calling you, but your responsibility is to figure that out. Some of you have said yes to too many things. You know, just said yes. Remember, the church doesn't need warm bodies and a disgruntled yes. They need your joyful yes. And so maybe the ones that have over-yesed themselves, the devil can't make you bad sometimes, but I promise he can make you busy. So maybe you that are overextended, you're, you're comparing what your life goals are against what God's goals for your life are. Maybe that's what you do. And in the next few moments, that's what we invite you to do. Is as the music plays, just sit in a moment of reflection. Think about the choices that you've made. Are you using what God has trusted you with? Will you go at once? Think about the choices that God might put on your plate to make. Will you go at once? Or will you hide? Will you share in the master's joy? So again, we're going to think about 
our choices, our no's, our yeses, with the filter of, am I doing something with what God has trusted me with? we come to you this morning we just thank you that you brought us through to this moment and you will take us further the best is yet to come we thank you for that we thank you for what you've placed in our lives we thank you for what you've given us help us have the courage to do something with what you've trusted us with in your precious name we pray amen we will see you in the crossing